What do you think you're doing, young lady? You're not supposed to be here. The strange man said as he entered the planetarium. It was a big hall with an oval-shaped ceiling. It almost appeared like a cinema, uh, with the screen above our heads, though, instead of in front of them. Uh, sorry, I gulped. I must have gone through the wrong door. More than one wrong door, I assume. But this place looks so freaking familiar, I said, unable to keep my eyes from the interior. Despite being a big fan of space and the stars since I was little, I couldn't remember the last time I visited a planetarium, only open on Sundays. That's what the sign outside said that I'd followed. How lucky, I thought. Everyone feels like they've been here before. Nobody has. He said those words with a smile on his face that looked neither friendly nor kind. It was a mixture of annoyance and regret. Or maybe that effect was due to his strange appearance that would rather fit inside a theater. He was dressed in a suit with black and white stripes and had dark circles painted around his deep green eyes. His face was the one of everyone and no one at the same time. Uh, do you work here? I asked. As I said, you're not supposed to be here, young lady. You better leave. I nodded and proceeded to walk towards the closest door. Just before reaching it, however, I turned around to the man once more. I do remember now. I came here once at school, when I was eleven or twelve. Uh, we watched some special show with music and... No, you did not. As I said, you've never been here before. He said in a much more rude tone now. I rolled my eyes and proceeded to head for the door. I can't even quite say how I ended up here. I have a horrible sense of direction. It's just that when you catch a memory of a long time ago and it's blurry, you somehow do your best to make it clear. He had made it more than obvious that I shouldn't be here, though, and I did feel a bit rude, so I headed for the exit. I reached for the door handle, but it wouldn't open. I turned towards the man with a helpless look, but he only sighed. Well, now you may as well take a seat. The show's about to start. We must sit when it does. I looked around the rows and rows of empty red velvet chairs with a raised eyebrow. The only other people I saw inside sat on the opposite side of the hall, leaning deep into their chairs so I couldn't recognize their faces, but I heard them whisper and giggle. I, uh, are you sure? I asked, but he was already pointing towards a seat near the door. I sat down. Uh, for some reason, it felt wrong to decline, and maybe this was a test run for a new show in here. It seemed exciting. Though, now I realize all those arguments were rather hollow. I wasn't supposed to be here, but that didn't matter just yet. To my surprise, the man in stripes took a seat in the big chair next to mine. He put his weight on the back and was now leaning deep behind, his gaze directed at the empty ceiling, which didn't show anything yet. He moved carefully, though, like his bones would break if he breathed too hard or moved too fast. Almost like an old man, but he couldn't have been much older than me. I copied what he was doing and leaned back. I couldn't help but grin from the excitement. Listen, girl, do not interact with anyone but me, alright? Who would I interact with? I'm not going to shout over to those people all the way over there, I mocked him. The lights turned down shortly after. 
We sat in darkness. The only sound you could hear was my rapid heartbeat. As absurd as the situation was, I felt like I belonged here. I felt at home, tucked in neatly in memory of my childhood. A part of me wished to see the show with the music and the dancing stars, but of course I wouldn't. I wasn't really at a planetarium, after all. I walked into a sham. I suppose you're wondering what's going on. I'm trying to describe it the way I felt when I was there. You see, logic didn't really make sense in the death room. My mind was lagging. I wasn't yet able to be skeptical. The worry would come. It only took some time. However, first, the ceiling lit up. It was a spotlight, shining bright right on top of us, like a sun that mesmerized your eyes instead of burning them. Everything underneath it was drenched in darkness, including us. The sun started shrinking and turning into something resembling clouds, clouds that were dripping. A few tiny wet drops were falling onto my skin. Rain, I thought at first. Uh, maybe it was an interactive show. But when I touched my face and smelled the sharp scent of iron, I realized it was something else. It's bleeding. The ceiling is bleeding, I whispered. The man in stripes didn't speak, but he turned to my side and his eyes told me to be quiet. That's when another voice began speaking. When you feel suffocated, you need to breathe. I took a deep breath the kind that fills you up entirely and makes you feel alive, but just before reaching the point of satisfaction, it, it got stuck. It didn't go in all the way, like when you're running and running until your feet become too fast for your breath to keep up. All I wanted was to breathe fully. Your lungs are screaming. Can you hear them? The voice continued. I felt panic rushing through my body. It was only a voice. It couldn't control my lungs, but it felt as if the sole fact of being conscious of the breathing act stopped it. It's not directed at you. You can breathe. The man next to me spoke. And he was right. I opened my mouth wide, and the rush of air made me see stars for a second. But then it got better. It regulated itself. I almost felt at ease again, until I heard the noises from the other side of the planetarium. It sounded like someone was choking. I tried to shift my weight to the front to get up and check on them, but my body felt stiff. Breathe, for now, as you did when you were born. I heard panting and whispering, then silence again. The clouds were long gone. I hadn't even realized that the ceiling was all dark until it changed again. Now we saw something that resembled the Milky Way darkness with a circle of light in the middle. My eyes were glued to the beauty of the projection, but slowly it turned ugly. Uglier than anything I'd seen before. A face appeared in the middle of the circle. A face filled with pain and suffering. Its eye sockets were hollow, the mouth cut in slices. And then it started to scream. At least that's what I thought at first, before realizing that the scream of damnation was not coming from the room. It was coming from the people on the opposite side. Jen, honey, it's okay. It's just a show, I heard a man say. The other person, Jen, I suppose, 
started chuckling nervously. It's so realistic, Justin. Was it like that when we came the first time? She said. He answered something, but I couldn't hear what it was. When you have to live through each day, the last one must come. The voice spoke again. This time, it did sound as if it was coming from the ceiling. The disgusting figure was still embodied inside the Milky Way, but now the stars began to move and its mouth opened wide. It almost appeared as if something was falling out of it. Wasn't your first date the most lovely experience? A man from the opposite side spoke. He didn't sound like the first one, though. His voice was deep and creaky. You were cuddled up in the comfortable chair, enjoying the stars. A woman with an even creakier voice added, It was the most wonderful time, Jen replied. That's why we came back, right? To feel wonderful again, Justin agreed. Are there more people here? I thought I only saw two. I whispered to the man in stripes. Were you here before? It feels right, doesn't it? Warm and comfortable and nice. This was another voice, one that sounded far closer, uh, like right in front of me. And strangely enough, I felt like I somehow knew it. If only I could shift my weight, but I couldn't. I opened my mouth to answer, but before I could say something, I felt someone grab my hand. It was the striped guy. He was squeezing my hand so tight, it almost hurt. And then I remembered he told me not to interact, so I stayed quiet. The show continued. The figure on the ceiling had now broken almost entirely out of the fake Milky Way, and it looked hungry. My heart started racing. Suddenly I didn't feel comfortable and safe anymore. Suddenly I started doubting everything around me, including my own presence. This wasn't right. This is wrong, I cried out. The man in stripes squeezed my hand even tighter, and I stayed silent, but the other couple didn't. The woman was now crying deeply until it was interrupted by the screams of the man. My body was shaking. That was the moment when I realized what the striped guy was talking about when I walked in here. I had never been to this planetarium before. I didn't think I'd ever been to one at all, but the memory had felt so clear. The screaming and shouting had stopped. The couple was eerily quiet. Are you okay? I shouted to the other side. Now that I was coming back to my senses, it felt like I was waking up from a trance. They didn't respond. The Milky Way disappeared and the clouds were back. Now they were shedding more blood than before. The blood that tainted my face and clothes. The only proof I later would have of being here at all. The show was over. The projection ended and slowly the normal light was coming back. I looked around to see all those people I heard, but there was no one. As I was finally able to move my body again, I fell to the front. I tried to look for the couple, Jen and Justin. They were still hanging back in their chairs, but now their bodies looked lifeless and stiff. Tears started rolling down my cheeks. I did have plans today. I was supposed to meet Vincent. It was dark when I left my home. It didn't feel like the middle of the night now. I was inside a hall with no windows, imagining sunshine outside, but it was dark and cold when I was out there. 
I'd forgotten all about it for the time I was here. How did I walk in here? For the life of me, I could not remember. Why am I here? I asked. A mix-up, I suppose. Maybe you made the mistake of being too close when it opened its doors. You came in a moment too late. It's lucky. It really is. I've never seen anyone else simply enjoying the procedure without being swallowed by it. But we're not in a planetarium, are we? I muttered. He shook his head. It's a trick. It lures you in with a feeling of strange familiarity. You see what's in your memory. A place that feels nostalgic, yet not tainted. Neutral. It. I didn't even ask him what it was. I had seen and felt its presence, after all. It lured in that innocent couple. My hands were trembling with anger and fear. I wanted to jump up and run, but my legs didn't move. They weren't supposed to yet. They weren't innocent. Not all victims are. Their fate was chosen by someone, and once a week the room lures them in to perform the act. It's quite practical, actually. And you help it? This time his calm surface looked broken for only a second. I was lured in as well, though in another way. I once followed a light. Now I do what it asks me. However, this is the first time we had a visitor. A terrible mix-up of schedules, I suppose. Really lucky. We need to get help. Can someone... I... And send them where? To a planetarium you believe you visited as a child. As soon as you walk out the door, you won't be able to find it again. And you better hope it won't find you. What if it does? I whispered. Then your seat won't be here next to me, but where they were. I nodded, my blurry vision targeted at the ground. You will go through that door and leave. Make sure nobody sees you. And next time you are at a place that feels strangely familiar, get the hell out before the doors close. I don't sleep at night. I haven't for a month now. I can't. I mustn't. She's waiting. I know she is. It started happening on Thursday night. It was late at night, and I was really tired after working all day on a new project report for my firm. The deadline was a week later, but in my 42 years of life, if I had learned one thing, it's that procrastination will always fuck you up without a delay. I was quite happy to have been done with it and just wanted to sleep now. I went to bed around midnight, and I'm sure I must have fallen asleep less than five minutes after that. I don't know exactly when, but something woke me up that night. Something that has not let me sleep ever since. I like to keep a bottle of water at night with me, even though I never use it. I keep it at the bedside table, and that is what woke me up. The sound of the bottle falling from the table and hitting the floor. It woke me up, but my eyes were still closed. I was annoyed, like anyone would be, but I had to pee anyway. So, I thought, I might as well do it now. 
I reluctantly opened my eyes after doing a little full-body stretch under the blanket. The room was dark. I like to sleep with all the lights off. If there's ever a little light in the room, I feel distracted and can't sleep. I should have been getting out of bed now, but I didn't. Something just felt wrong. My bed is placed directly in line with the door. The first thing you see after waking up is the room's entrance, and that's what I would have seen had there been any light. My eyes were adjusted, though. I had started seeing outlines of things in my room, the chair, the table, the closet, and the woman standing at the door. My eyes froze as I saw the outline of a tall woman standing perfectly still. For a second, I thought it was one of those moments when you wake up and see a pile of clothes on a chair and get scared. I wanted to believe it was just that, but I knew it wasn't. I knew exactly what I was seeing, and I couldn't look away. I couldn't just go back to sleep, obviously, and I couldn't get out of bed, either. I was like a kid hiding himself in a blanket, thinking the ghosts can't hurt him if he just pretends to be asleep. I did just that. I pretended to be asleep with my eyes half open. I didn't know if it somehow got darker, but after some time, I wasn't sure if she was still there. I felt like I saw her a few times, but that was probably just my imagination. I kept looking, though. I spent the whole night looking at the door. It was only when the light slowly filled the room at dawn that I could clearly see that there was no one. I got out of bed at eight and felt like the biggest idiot ever. I convinced myself that I must have imagined a woman in the night, and I couldn't believe that I spent the whole night awake because of something stupid like that. Even though I was so sure of it in the night, daytime me wasn't willing to believe it. I even told Brian about it. He's a friend from work. He called me a dumb fuck, and I agreed. We laughed a lot over that. The next night, I went to bed really late. I wasn't doing anything. I didn't have any work. I wasn't willing to accept it, but I didn't want to go to bed because I was scared. I wanted the night to be as short as I could make it. I went to bed calling myself an idiot for last night, laughing and scoffing to myself. I kept doing that, but even then I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't trying to sleep. I hadn't even closed my eyes. I wanted to keep lights on today, but that would be accepting what had happened yesterday, and I wasn't ready to do that just yet. So the room, like always, was pitch black. All my fears came true, and I froze again as I saw her walk into the room. She was walking very slowly and directly towards me. I did the only thing I could and just pretended to sleep. Just as she reached the bed, she turned, walked around the room, and left. This happened all night. She just walked around the house. Sometimes she would come really close to me as if to mock me, as if she knew I was awake. The next morning, there was no doubt left. I knew what I had seen. I knew exactly what had happened last night. I couldn't deny it this time. I left the house an hour early for the office. I was one of the first ones there. I told Brian about it the moment he came there. At first he thought I was joking and laughed, but his laughter faded as he saw the serious look on my face. 
In that moment, I could tell a multitude of thoughts were going through his head. You could see the look of confusion, fascination, pity, and judgment at the same time. He told me to calm down and tell him everything in detail. I told him about the lady and that she was walking this time. I told him everything that happened. Throughout the little story, I could see him trying hard not to call it ridiculous and tell me I'm being stupid. I don't blame him. If I was in his place, that's exactly what I would have done. Even though I knew he didn't think there really was a ghost, he assured me that he believes me. It was one of those talks you have with a child, when they say something ridiculous, but you tell them you believe them anyway. The rest of the day at work was pretty normal, except the part that I was internally freaking out the whole time. I couldn't get the picture of her staring at me out of my head. A couple hours before the end of the day, Brian came to me and suggested that I come with him to his house for tonight. He said it'd be better to not be alone under the circumstances. Things can be hard living alone in a house for such a long time. He was using words that he would not normally use. I asked him if it was Marie's idea, and he agreed. That's his wife. Even though I'm closer to Brian, I have actually known him for longer. In fact, it was through her that I met Brian. She was my sister's friend in college, and that's how we met. Although, back then it was more of a relationship where you both know the other exists, and uh, that's it. Marie is a psychiatrist, and you could just tell that it was her words coming out of Brian's mouth. We went to my house first, uh, picked up some stuff, and then to his house. It was just the two of them at home. Normally, Marie's sister lives with them, but she was out for the week. The first couple of hours were quite fun. Uh, we talked about stuff, uh, work, movies, life, all that. Then we had dinner, and after that, it got serious. We were sitting on the couch when she told me about it. Sleep paralysis demon. That's what I saw. Apparently, it happens to a lot of people. You wake up when your brain is still in sleep mode. So you can't move your body, and it comes with an added special bonus of a demon that traumatizes you. Why did it happen to me? Turns out, a fucked up sleep schedule and loads of caffeine before sleep is not a good idea. She also said that what happened five months ago might have something to do with this, but Brian quickly changed the conversation when he saw me getting uncomfortable. All I got for treatment was a piece of advice. Sleep better. Brian told me that I had been going too hard at work these days and that I should take it easy. I do take it easy. It's just that living alone, you don't have a whole lot to do, and once you actually start working on something, it gets interesting and you want to end it as soon as you can. After that, we talked some more, and before we knew it, the small needle in the clock was closing in on the top. They told me to rest and sleep. I was given the room Marie's sister had been living in. The next day was a holiday, thankfully, so I didn't have to worry about waking up early. Brian told me the same, and then we said our goodnights and all. They went to their room, and I told them I'd do the same after I visited the bathroom. I was so sleepy that my eyelids felt heavy at that point. While using the restroom, I thought about the whole thing and felt thankful for having friends like them. Not a lot of people would do so much these days. I was also relieved that the whole ghost thing was figured out, although 
I was still scared that she'll come again tonight. At least this time I know she's not real and just my imagination. Now all that was left for me was to go to bed and sleep until the next afternoon, hopefully. After I came out of the bathroom, Brian and Marie had already locked their room. I picked my phone up from the couch and headed to my room. As I opened the door, I noticed a big poster on the wall. It looked like an Asian band or something. I don't know. I didn't care. I just wanted to sleep. I threw my phone on the bed and was just about to lock the door when I saw something from the corner of my eye. She was sitting on a chair against the adjacent wall. My heart skipped a beat, but I didn't. I immediately turned around and left the room. My mind was blank, and I didn't know what to do. So, I just sat on the couch with my feet up on it. The floor was cold, and it just felt safer that way. In the hurry of getting out of there, I had left the door open. I was waiting for her to come out any second now. I considered knocking on Brian's door, but I was too scared even for that. I thought, what if she hadn't seen me? If I knocked on the door, she'll hear me for sure. Maybe I should just go and slowly close the door. But what if she's waiting for me to do that? I couldn't call them either, as I had left my phone inside. After a few minutes of panicking and living in absolute dread, I decided to close the door of that room. After that, I could think about waking up Brian and Marie. I looked at the half-opened door, and then I looked at the clock. It was half-past twelve. The night had just begun. I tried to control my breathing so that I didn't make a lot of noise. After assuring myself that it's the best thing to do for fifteen minutes, I finally built up enough courage to do it. I closed my eyes and told myself that I can do it. I just had to take a few steps and close the door. I looked at the clock one last time, and then went for it. Just as my feet touched the cold floor, I saw the door slowly open. My heart started racing again, and I didn't know what to do. I didn't have to know, though. My body moved on its own as I quickly got back on the couch. I lay down and pretended to be asleep. With my half-closed eyes, I saw the tall woman slowly walk out of the room. She was walking right towards me. My breathing had gone up again, and I couldn't control it. I tried closing my eyes for a bit, but not knowing what was going on was even scarier. When I half-opened my eyes again, she was a lot closer. She sat down on the adjacent couch, and for the first time, I looked at her face. I wasn't asleep, I wasn't paralyzed, and she was no demon. For the first time in five months, I had looked at my wife's face. Her pale skin, her big eyes, and the freckles around her nose. Strangely, I felt at ease looking at her, but then I realized why she was there. Her head was slightly tilted, and her eyes solely focused on my face. That look on her face. I know what it was. She was waiting. She stayed there looking at me for the whole night. Then, at some point, she moved. She got up and stood beside me. I tried to keep my breathing calm, and she touched my face with her soft hand. She traced it with her fingers from the head to my chin. And then she left. She went back to the same room she had come from. A little after that, Marie came out of her room and saw me sleeping on the couch. 
In the morning, I just told them that I fell asleep watching TV. Even for them, it would be too much if I told them what actually happened. They would surely start thinking that I had gone crazy. I thanked them for everything and left early. We had been married for eleven years when my wife died five months ago. It was the night after our anniversary when she died in her sleep. Everything makes sense now. I know why she's here. I just don't know what to do about it. I have been awake for three days now. I don't know if I can go any longer. Caffeine doesn't work anymore. I'm already feeling sleepy. My head feels heavy and my whole body hurts. I have to sleep, but I know she'll be there again and I know she'll be waiting. I can't sleep. I must not sleep. The moment I fall asleep, she's going to do it. She's going to kill me in my sleep. Just like I killed her. When I was little, I had an imaginary friend, as most lonely little girls do. She lived in the wall of my bedroom, but said she lived in Paris. She was always nice to me. She comforted me when I was sad and gave me advice when I was having boy trouble. She would always tell me about Paris and how great everything was there and how, one day, I could come visit. For being from Paris, uh, she spoke English very well. She went by Adler, but I called her Addie. Uh, we were best friends. I would even carve Jody plus Adler into trees and things, which made me a bit of an outcast at school. I would constantly bother my parents about going to Paris so I could visit Addie. Uh, my mom and I were talking about it a while ago, and she mentioned how it would always creep her out, how every day I'd seem to know more about Paris, but she never saw me with any books on the subject. It was definitely not in any class I took in second grade in Manitoba. The reminder of Addie also brought back memories of the other one that would visit me. I would only ever call him the other one. Uh, he lived in my wardrobe. Unlike Addie, he never spoke to me. He just looked out at me from the wardrobe. Uh, I never saw him, never really knew what he looked like, but I always knew when he was there. He carried with him an aura of dread and a stench of rotten meat. Uh, whenever he appeared, the world felt like static and uh, I couldn't move. Uh, Addie saw him too, on her side of the wall. Uh, we were both completely terrified of him, but having each other made it easier. She was a mother figure to me, uh, when my real mother would never indulge in my childish fears. She always tried to be strong for me. Although one day... Three days after my eighth birthday, she saw what he looked like. I asked many times, but she would never tell me. Every day after Addie saw him, she would get sadder and sadder. Addie told me that my loneliness is what drew the other one to me. I thought that as long as I had Addie, I would be safe, but Addie said she would have to leave me soon. After a lot of nagging, I got her to tell me why. She said that once she saw the other one, she only had ten days left, and then she had to go away. She never elaborated further than that, and we counted down every remaining day. The last day was hard. I cried a lot. 
Addie made me promise to make lots of friends and create a life for myself in which I would never be lonely again. Then she was gone. I spent years fulfilling that promise. I made lots of friends, got a good job, and I even got married to a man named Tyler Adler, of all things. I used to think that's why she chose that name, as a way to guide me to my better life. I even carved Jody plus Adler into one more tree. Before long, the other one was a distant memory. But life happens, and things didn't quite turn out as I hoped. Tyler was killed in a car accident. I lost all my friends in the ensuing grief and depression. Then the other one came back. I had convinced myself he was just a fantasy, but he was back anyway. So I had one more breadcrumb to follow from Addie, and that was Paris. I moved into a cute one-bedroom, and I was ready to start my whole new life. It was just as beautiful as Addie always said. I was convinced that it was my only chance to escape. But a few days later, I heard a voice in my wall. Only, it wasn't Addie. It was a scared little girl named Jody. She asked my name, and in a panic, I skipped my first name and blurted out, Adler. It didn't take long for me to figure it out. Wrapping my head around it is another story, and something I still haven't done, but I figured it out. Once I did, I made it my mission to do everything I could to comfort her, to be there for her. I couldn't imagine how dark my life would have been without Addie, so I became the best Addie I could be. In a weird way, it helped my life feel a bit less grey, too. Everything was going pretty well, but then it was our birthday. Her eighth birthday. I knew it was coming, but it snuck up on me anyway. That was three days ago. That's why I'm writing this all out now. Because today I met my boogeyman. Today is the day I finally found out what the other one looks like. Most importantly, today is the day my countdown starts. And I'm pretty sure I've figured out what happens after that.